Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hello my friends, this is Jim. Thanks for joining me today for the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. The last 24 hours I was listening to some very inspirational testimonies from people that were in just uh, critical situations, circumstances, uh, dealing with health and a few other things. And they had uh, prayed and were trusting uh, God, putting their faith in God's word. And uh, after they did that, their situations took a turn for the worse. And I laughed just a little bit because a lot of times, you know, we, we try to anticipate something good happening. And that's what hope is. Hope is the anticipation of a, of a favorable outcome. If we can't see a favorable outcome, then, then we're without hope. So uh, the Bible says that the scriptures were written that you might have hope. And so wherever we find ourselves in life, it's important that we're able to, to see a positive end result. But when we actually put our, our uh, hand to the plow, so to speak, when we actually enter into that combat, you know, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith and, that, uh, and to fight the good fight of faith. And I talk a lot about this on this podcast simply because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you know, I, when I think, when I read scriptures like this, and I think about my own life experience and and the experiences that others have shared with me, I think about how sometimes our worldview becomes colored more by our experiences than it does uh, by what the Bible actually says. Faith is in believing something that cannot be seen. And when you think about something like um, uh, having, quote-unquote, faith in God uh, or, or faith in Jesus, um, that faith is put to the test, but yet it will never be put to the test like it will um, when we're moments away from, from leaving this world. Because it's at that moment that all of the things that we maybe knew before in a, in a way of theory is being put to the test. I mean— when you're actually there getting ready to uh, cross over out of this world, I, I know I haven't been there before. And so I can only guess what it would be like. And my guesses are based on what I've heard from other people. And I've heard from testimonies from those who believe how there was feelings of peace and feelings of anticipation. And uh, and one of the things I know is you never really know how you're going to feel or what, how you're going to respond until you're in certain situations. There's certain situations that you think you would like to respond full of faith, but we know from experience that our faith is often put to the test. And I look at it this way. Some people think, and talking about worldview, some people think God is testing their faith. And, and according to the Bible, God tests our hearts. And when I started looking at the two, measuring them, kind of weighing them against each other, I started thinking, are these one and the same thing or are these different things? Now, when you think about scriptures, because it, it takes the fullness of the truth, we can't just take one part of the truth and isolate it and then and just build on that. It takes the whole truth, right? It takes the whole foundation. It's just like in this world. I mean, if you, uh, when you're a child, how many things do you have to learn? Uh, and, and grow up? How many areas do you have to grow up in and develop yourself in in order to function successfully in life? Imagine that you just pursued uh, academic pursuits and you became very intelligent 
I'm just talking about looking at a child, but they were socially inept. They didn't know how to act around people. And see, that would work against them, wouldn't it? Uh, likewise, what if they were uh, socially um, highly skilled in social situations, but uh, intellectually uh, they never trained their mind. They never uh, given themselves to learning uh, you know, things that are important to function in this world. Well, again, that would go against them. That would work against them. That would be an impediment that they would have in life. And so sometimes, you know, when you look at the school systems that we have today, I, when I, back when I was in school, I used to wonder, well, why do we have to learn this subject? We're never going to use this subject. You know, but all the subjects are important. You know, uh, reading, math, even if you're never going to use trigonometry, the idea of uh, being exposed to it's important. Because maybe you'll find that you have an aptitude for it, and it will open the door. God gives, I believe, each of us a, a skill set. And that skill set allows us to function in this area. It's almost like there, there are spiritual callings, there are gifts, spiritual gifts that go with our calling in life. But there's also natural aptitudes and natural gifts. And I look at the spirit, spiritual side of things and the natural side, and they both go together like two sides of the coin. Right? Because th this physical world was created by God, who is a spirit. Right? So there's natural things and there's spiritual things, and both of them go together. You know, the Bible says that there will come a time where God will create a new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness will reign. It's something we look forward to. But getting back to the topic, so you can take any one part of the Bible and just build it around that one part at the expense of the other parts, and what you'll have, just like in the natural physical world, uh, is there'll be you'll be incomplete. You know, so some some people will talk about love because love is important. The Bible says that God is love, and the Bible actually goes on. If you read in First um, Corinthians, it says, "Now abide these three: um, faith, hope, and love." Or if you have the King James version, "faith, hope, and charity," which is translated "love." Now abides these three. These three things are alive, faith, hope, and love. And I look at them as kind of like the represent, representation of, of a trinity, spirit, soul, and body, father, son, and spirit. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. Those three go together. So you can't just take one and leave the other two out. It doesn't make any difference which one you take. right? Because if, you're, if you have love but you have not faith, then it's still you're not going to please God because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you have faith and you don't have love, then your faith may be a non-working faith because the Bible says that faith worketh by love. That's why it's important to forgive, to walk in forgiveness towards other people because if you don't, then you will have that twinge on the inside of you. Your faith will not, um, you will not have a free-flowing faith at work in your life if you're hold unforgiveness towards people. It's the only sin the Bible actually talks about uh, relative to answered prayer um, when Jesus taught in Mark chapter 11, verses 23, 24, and 25. It's the only, of all the things he could have mentioned, right? In Mark eleven twenty-two, he says, have faith in God. Mark 11, um, 23, he talks about speaking to the mountain. Mark eleven twenty four, 24, he says about believing you receive it when you pray for it. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, he says, if you have aught against any forgive, that your Father in heaven may forgive you. So the, there's that one negative there, right? You still got to forgive. 
God has forgiven you and you have to forgive those who've sinned against you. God's forgiven you for sinning against him. And he asks that you forgive those who've sinned against you. Right? And that's part of, of maturing in love. So now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. You need all three to be healthy, to be, to be complete. But um, what I want to talk about a little bit is how people focus on certain things in the Bible. Like some people who deal with sickness over a long period of time, a sickness or a disease or a physical problem, that becomes part of their personality. So just listening to it, I know I've had problems in my own life. If you've ever dealt with any kind of pain before, you know how it can consume all of your attention because it affects everything you do. Even if you're sitting, the only time maybe you're not affected by it is if you're in a state of sleep. But even then, sometimes if you move wrong, you'll wake up because of the pain. And pain can be all-consuming. And soon you begin to identify with it. It becomes part of you. It's almost like if you can't successfully beat it, you embrace it. But, you know, the Bible says that Jesus took our sicknesses and carried our pains. Now, when we see scriptures like that, you may think, well, you know, that sounds good, but my experience is, is not in line with that. And when we go in the Bible, we can find, when we go through the Gospels, how Jesus healed the multitudes. He healed everyone that came to him. In the book of Acts, same thing happened with the Apostle Paul. He healed somebody on the island of Malta, and then, then everybody came to him, and, and he healed them all. Well, you know, Paul didn't actually heal them, but it was the Holy Spirit working through Paul. You know, Jesus said, it's to my advantage that I go away. And, and sometimes that's hard to believe because we think, wow, if Jesus were here, I could get healed much easier. You know, Jesus walked through your front door right now and said, I'm going to stay with you the week. Uh, what would you ask him? I mean, probably you probably wouldn't sleep too much because you think, you know, what, I've got to take advantage of this week. I know I would hardly be sleeping at all. I would just be asking him question after question after question. I would definitely be recording his answers <laughs> that I could go back and listen to them again and again. But I mean, would there be something that if Jesus was staying with you? Now, some some of you might think, well, you know, there's certain things I would really wouldn't want him to see that I'm not really proud of that I have in my house or on my computer or, or any of that. Uh, but let's just imagine that you took care of all that, okay? Let's imagine that, you, you know, you got rid of all the things you didn't want him to see or embarrassed about or, you know, and I, you know, it could be anything. It could be major to minor anywhere in between. You know, I mean, if you had cigarettes out on your counter when Jesus came through, maybe you'd feel a little bit embarrassed or you'd go and throw them away and, I mean, he, he knows anyway. He loves us in spite of, of the hang-ups that we have, in spite of the issues. We're, we're all works in progress. You know. But the, the, the thing I learned is that um, righteousness is something that you have to practice. You have to practice living right. It takes effort. It's like anything else. You know, if you do it over and over and over again, you get better at it. You know, the Bible talks about in, in the um, first letter of John, people that practice sin. And I don't know if you know that or not, but yeah, it goes into that. People that practice sin, it's, it's just, those people aren't of the truth. But then he also goes on to say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. So we know what it's like to live in a body. You know, you know what it's like to tell kind of like a little white lie because it ends maybe the discussion or, or avoids you having to open up another can of worms or hurt somebody's feelings or something like that. We all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to cut corners. 
corners that if your children or your friends or somebody came up to you for advice and say, hey, should I do that? You know, you wouldn't recommend it. It would kind of be like, you know, do what I say, not what I do, that kind of thing. We all know what it's like to to um, lose our temper. And, you know, if we had a rocket launcher on our car, we probably would have blown some people off the road by now. We know what it's like, you know, just to have people get to you. You know, and, and, and you're, you realize they, they're doing it on purpose. So, yeah, you have to practice. It takes practice being patient, holding your tongue. Holding your tongue takes practice. Letting it go doesn't take any practice. But, you know, when I go in the Bible, I see that, yeah, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of tests and trials that people go through. But when you read the scriptures, they come through all of them. But when you see people that struggle with a problem for a long time, I just talked about sickness and using some kind of pain as an example because if you've never hurt yourself before, everybody knows what pain is like. Also, most people know what it's like not to have enough money, you know, and, and, and maybe your car is like a clunker or you don't live in a nice place. Maybe there's like bugs and leaks and I don't know, other kinds of things that go along with it. Or you just never have enough. You know, we know what it's like. And it becomes, after resisting those situations, after a while, and asking yourself why. Well, the reason why is pretty simple. It's because we live in a fallen world. And you say, well, I understand that, but I prayed and nothing has happened yet. You know, and, and, and the thing that we don't like to embrace is the fact that you can be on the right road, but still have to travel a, ro- a long distance to get to your location. Let me say that again. You can be on the right road, but it still takes a long time to get to your location. And we don't popularize, quote unquote, uh, miraculous events that take a long period of time. If you hear somebody that stood on God's word for like six years, I I heard a story about a guy. And I'm going to use healing, for example, because I enjoy those types of testimonies. But it could be anything. It could be financial distress. Um, it could be any, any kind of problem that you have. It could be social. It could be spiritual. It could be you're oppressed by something. You can be fearful of something. You can be addicted to something. And it just seems like you, you get on the road, and to the best of your ability, you're reading instructions, but it seems like you're not getting any close to the answer. And sometimes it seems like you're getting even further from it. Well, I enjoy reading the testimonies of people who have gone through those experiences because I've gone through them myself. I, I prayed for years for a cyst that was on my wrist, and it wasn't even that big. And 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 years went by, probably four or five years or more, before it uh, disappeared. And, and some other uh, things like that I, I've gone through. But yet I prayed for other things, and the answer came right away. And so when the answer comes right away, you kind of assume that, okay, all things are firing. It's not like, you know, if you, come, if you go in the room and you flip the, the light switch and the light doesn't come on right away, what's the first thing that you think? There's a problem. And you want to go and fix the problem. Well, when you pray for something that you, other people have received and, um, you know, other people have received quick, fast answers and you don't see it right away, what's, what's kind of like the first thing? that comes to mind. A lot of times in the natural, there's a problem. And that problem can be a multitude of things, especially if you start examining yourself. Why? 
Because if we, the Bible says if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And that was written to believers. So if all it takes is, is a sin to basically short-circuit the power of God, then the chances of us getting anything are slim to none. I mean, is, don't those two things kind of naturally go together? But yet we see other scriptures that say, um, follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now it says in, um, well, let's get back to that original scripture that I quoted, for without faith it's impossible to please him. Right, where was that? Hebrews 11.6, for without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. A lot of people have that, down, part, that part down. And must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, diligently replies effort, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're diligently cleaning the house, that means that you, you know that you take the time to bend over and move things and pick things up and, and, and really do it right. That's what diligent is. Right. If somebody is, is a diligent guard, then the slightest sound that they hear, they're going to go examine and see what it is. They're not just going to assume, oh, that's just an animal. Right. And if somebody's investigating something diligently, then they pay attention to like the, the minutiae, the, the minute details. So when it says diligently seek God, that means that you are your focus is in that place of, of faith where you're looking to him as the source of your supply and your desire is to connect to him. Have you ever diligently tried to communicate with somebody and really sit down and listen and talk and really just talk it out and get any misunderstandings out of the way? Take some diligence. So the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who not only believe in him, but diligently seek him. And that requires some time and some effort. I mean, there's a lot of things we can be diligent about. Think about the whole uh, farming thing. There's a, a time to, to plow the ground. There's a time to sow the seed. There's a time to, um, you know, protect the seed, watch over it. There's a growing time. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like, is like a seed, isn't it? And it talks in Mark chapter 5 about the different kinds of seeds that fall into different kinds of earth. So if you want something to grow and want to be successful, you have to be diligent about preparing the ground. Well, we have to be diligent about preparing our hearts because our heart is the ground in the Bible. Right? That's the analogy. The heart is the ground. Right? And so from the moment we say amen to the moment we actually see the answer in our daily, everyday experience, you have to continuously guard your heart and assure your heart before God that you are of the truth. Let me read this section to you. I'm just going to open this. It's going to take a few minutes. I'm opening up, and it's called eSword. It's on my computer, and it loads like 20 different versions of the Bible, which I downloaded. So it takes a little time to load, but let me keep talking while it's loading. There's so many positive scriptures in the Bible. Um, Psalm uh, 34.10, the second part, it says that they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 37.4 says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. It's in Proverbs, the second part of uh, chapter 10, verse 24, that second part there, says the desire of the righteous shall be granted. Isaiah 55.11 says, so shall my word be, including those words that I just read, 
that go forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. We return God's word to him in prayer. That's how we do it. And so we have all of these positive things, and yet when people have negative experiences, they try and identify with the people in the Bible that seem to have been defeated. For example, in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter has all of the things that were done by faith, and then at the end of the chapter, it has the others of Hebrews 11, right? So Hebrews 11.35, it says, women received their dead raised to life again by faith, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yes, more of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, sawed in two, were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts, in the mountains, in the dens, in the caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good report through faith, did not receive the promise. You know, sometimes people would rather identify with those people than all the people that preceded them that received all these miraculous things by faith. Why? Because if you try and try and try, if you try and stand, I'm just talking about physically, if you try and stand but you can't, you just keep on falling, then you just get used to crawling. Right? Because every time you try and stand and you fall, it's discouraging. I mean, how could you be human and it not be discouraging? So sometimes it's a matter of continuously renewing and getting back in the fight, even when you don't feel like it. And every single person I think that ever lives, even your, your people that you perceive have stronger faith than you do, have been through things like this. But if we read verse 39 again, it says Hebrews chapter 11, and these all, having obtained a good report by faith, did not receive the promise. And some people receive that and they say, that's me. That's me and that's, that's where I live. But then they forget the 40th verse, which says, For God had provided some better thing for us that they should not be made perfect or complete or even mature. That's how you can... Um, those are just definitions of that word perfect doesn't mean without fault, that they should not be made perfect without us. In other words, we have a new covenant established upon better promises, but the thing about the others of Hebrews chapter 11 is it says there, they wandered, or excuse me, verse um, 35, it says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, they didn't accept the answer, and the reason why was that they might obtain a better resurrection. Do you know that there's a special crown laid aside for those who were martyred for, for the gospel's sake? A special reward. And, and hey, if you got to the point and you knew that, where you were about to leave this earth and your final testimony would be laying down your life, you might decide that too. And if you were younger and you had your whole life ahead of you, maybe you would say, you know what? I can do much better here. Uh, spreading the gospel or helping people or fulfilling the call that God has my purpose for my life. And what would happen? You would be delivered. I go through the Bible and see who was delivered. And look at these people. Example after example after example after example. Even Jesus' disciples, uh, who most of them, who were, um, who laid down their lives, 
You know, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down in my own free will. So these people actually laid down their life. It was their choice. You know, other people, they want to identify with that, but the truth is they have no choice. And so they choose that. But here they had a choice because it says they weren't accepting deliverance, not accepting deliverance. That means it had to be offered to them. It had to be within their reach or else there's no way to not accept it. Some people are just lying there, dying, defeat it, and they see scriptures like this. And you know what the Bible says? Don't twist the, Don't be like those who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Now, I just want to be honest with you. There were times and situations in my life where I tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed, and I experienced all the same negative emotions that are common to man. I was mad. I was mad at God because I thought, well, you know, God's so big, he could just override my inability, but he's not doing it. You know, that's kind of like the child who's throwing a temper tantrum because in his little world, which is very limited compared to the adult world, but in his little world, things aren't going his way. And so what he wants is for the parent to intervene so that he doesn't have to go through any further effort. Right? He wants the, the, the child that throws the tantrum is looking for a shortcut. Now think about what would happen if the parent just catered to that child all the time. What would that what would that child grow up to be like? Do you think that they would would have empathy and love and all that for their for their fellow man? No, they, they would just be a self-centered mess. Right? The, the, the fact of the matter is, is we're growing up here in a fallen world, and God trains us to be warriors. God trains us to have endurance, and I don't believe that it's, it's to the point where, yeah, God could give you the answer sooner, but he wants to wait longer. I believe it's just natural because our faith takes time to develop, and he knows what can take longer and what can't. For example, if you're breathing once every, like, 60 seconds because of a physical infirmity, God knows you're not going to be able to stand on his word for like the next 12 months before the thing comes to pass, right? But he does know if you'll be able to do that. And, and like one person said, great victories are the result of having come through a great battle, right? And so what, what the devil is meaning for destruction in, in the lives of human beings God, as long as we have to be here anyway, is working all things together for good. And he isn't requiring us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. He came in the form of a man. Jesus took on a human body just like we have. He was tested, tempted, and tried in all ways and beyond ways that we've ever been tempted, tested, or tried. And yet was that without sin. He paid the price because it was a payment that we could never afford and he did it both. He helped people both in real time, those who were actually alive and present with him at the time of his coming. And he went to the cross to purchase the complete package for every generation that would ever come afterward. And he also applied the benefits of that package to those who had already died in faith before he came onto the scene. So everybody won. The people who came before him 
were blessed. Some of them were blessed because they had faith with blessings that weren't even available in the covenant that they had at the time. Like Naaman the Syrian and the little widow woman. They weren't even of the, uh, of the house of Israel. But yet they got the same blessings, right? Because they were hidden at the time. They were hidden. And um, the people, of course, in Jesus' time, and then there's us after. Everybody, the, the redemption is complete and, and, and it covers everybody. The blood covers everybody from Adam all the way to the last person who uh, will be born uh, in this earth, in this drama. And, and so there are uh, physical, natural truths and realities, and there's the reality of God's word. The reality of God's word says that they that seek after the Lord shall not want any good thing. You have to begin to say that. Right? Faith is in the heart and it's in the mouth. I can't tell you how many scriptures talk about that. In the heart and in the mouth. It says the desires of the righteous shall be granted. So you can, you have a choice. You can either say that scripture once and then talk about how hard everything is for the rest of the week. And tell your friends and people in the family and anybody who will listen to your coworkers how hard everything is. And just prepare for everything to be hard. Or you can begin to say that you can speak the truth of God's word. You can say, you know, in, the Jesus, in Jesus' name, the desires of my heart are, have been granted to me. Jesus, uh, listen, listen to this. John fifteen seven. if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. Romans eight thirty two. he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Didn't say most things or some things. He didn't say spiritual things or natural things. He said all things. That would include everything that we just mentioned and all the things we didn't mention. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So, you know, we, we hear these scriptures. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, but, it, but it takes time for most people. And they have to stand against it. They have to say what God says. You know, they have to pray and say, thank you, God, uh, for uh, the truth of God's word says, uh, by Jesus' stripes we were healed. It says it in the Old Testament, by his stripes we were healed, says it in the New Testament. You, you mentioned that. You quote that scripture verse to some people. They get really mad at it. Oh, that doesn't mean physical healing. It means spiritual healing. It means salvation. It doesn't mean that. But if you look back and you at the original definitions of the word, it's talking about physical. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Psalm 103.3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who heals all thy diseases. Exodus 15.26, I am the Lord that healeth thee, and he changes not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, we have all these things, but when we have the disconnect in our own personal reality, a lot of times it's tempting to just change your belief to fit what you see happening or else there's a disconnect there. Right? And if you believe there's a disconnect there or it's not working for you, then sometimes you feel the need to explain it away for the sake of the people around you. 
See, the, the difference between the, the truth and religion is religion has no power. Right? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you made the word of God of no effect because of your religion. Right? And in the, day, in the time that we're in now, a powerless religion isn't going to attract anybody, let alone save them. People don't even have time for that anymore. We are in a time where people need to see the power of God. Jesus said it this way. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Right? So, so how could it be to his advantage or our advantage that he go away and the Holy Spirit come if the Holy Spirit's not going to do all of the same things that Jesus did when he was here? Isn't the Holy Spirit's mission to glorify Jesus like Jesus' mission was to glorify the Father? Don't they all work together like faith, hope, and love? Right, And so I know you see these things, and I'm saying this to you because I want to make sure that the, that the flame of hope is still burning on the inside of your own heart. The other day I heard a guy t tell a testimony about how he was out in the sun and he got a blister on his ear. And uh, I guess he put, put a Band-Aid or something over and it wasn't healing. And, and months went by, it still wasn't healing. And then basically he peeled the, the scab off. And then it started getting worse, and uh, then a doctor noticed it, a friend of his, and says that, that it was melanoma on his ear, and he needed to get it taken care of. And he was praying, and he was going back to First John to assure his heart every day. I got to read this to you because I think this is, this is really like one of those hidden keys that uh, people just don't talk enough about. Um, let me find it here. Hold on. I'm not sure which chapter. I think it's chapter four, but it may be chapter five. All right. Okay, here we go. First John uh, chapter three. I'm sorry. This is uh, verse number one. Behold what manner of love, <coughs> excuse me, I'm reading from the modern King James Version. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it is not yet revealed what we shall be. It's not yet been revealed, but we know that when he shall be revealed, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope uh, on himself, hope on him, purifies himself, even as uh, that one is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was revealed that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Everyone who knew, who abides in him does not sin. Now you know what that means in the context there does not practice sin, right? Because everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. And it says everyone who abides in him does not sin, right? Earlier in the chapter, earlier in the book, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So here we are, rightly dividing the word of truth. Everyone who abides in Jesus doesn't practice sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him nor known him. Again, everyone who practices sin that practice is something you do over and over and over and get better at it. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who does righteousness is righteous. Again, we could say he who practices righteousness is righteous, even as that one is righteous. 
He who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was revealed that he might undo the works of the devil. Um, I like the King James Version a little better. It says, might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, we're talking about the practice of it in the context. Does not commit sin, does not practicing the committing of sin, right? Thieves try to get better at their trade. Think about that for a moment. They practice their trade, so they become more efficient in it, right? People that do evil and are committed to it to practice it, that's what we're talking about there, um, that the tree is known by its fruit. Um, but let's, let me, let me just scroll down here a little bit more. Let me skip down to verse number 18. I just wanted to read that part about practicing righteousness and practicing sin. So it made sense. Okay. Verse number 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Right? In other words, practice in living in the truth, and hereby we know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. There is a key that I just want to bring out to you. There is a transformational truth. It's worded differently in different parts of the Bible. We see it all the way through here. Now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. Here we see that it's important for you to assure your own heart before God. Now, what does it say in 1 John 3.20? For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence towards God. And so there you can see the entire strategy of how the enemy would work is to get your own heart to condemn you. Right? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, right? who practice. No condemnation, because when you practice truth, you recognize when you miss it and you ask for forgiveness, right? You, you feel grieved. But when you don't ask for forgiveness, when you don't take the time to assure your own heart that you're walking in the light, that you're walking in truth, that you want to be pleasing in God's sight, and, sometimes, and that's just the basic level. I mean, all of, all of us who have God's spirit in us, if, if there was a little pill that you could take, and it would cause you to cease all of your habits, all of your addictions, all of your hang-ups. It's hard to believe that any of you would, would not want to take that. Matter of fact, some of you would take it so quickly. Uh, let me just give an example here of, um, uh, of something somebody might want to be free of. So suppose you had trouble with uh, some kind of addiction. Maybe it's to a certain kind of food or sugar, or maybe it's to alcohol uh, maybe it's some other kind of drug, and you have an addiction to it, right? When you have the Spirit of God in you, you want to be free from that thing. You want to be free from that way of operating, from that habit. If somebody gave you a little pill and said, all you have to do is swallow this and you'll never be tempted by that again, a lot of you wouldn't even, like, hesitate twice. You would just take that, swallow it. Maybe you take two, <laughs> two of them just in case. But you know what I'm saying? Because uh, weakness... Being enslaved by anything just weighs you down. But freedom makes you just feel lighter than air. Right? Not being tempted by something is the greatest feeling there is, or not to feel temptation. Right? Could you imagine if it was impossible to tempt you? Right? If there was nothing in you, in other words, that, that could latch onto that temptation? If money, could, you couldn't be tempted by money, or you couldn't be tempted by 
sex or you couldn't be tempted by power. Could you imagine what it would be like if those things weren't even slightly appealing to you? Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know what I'd be thinking about because most of my life has been thinking about some of these things or getting more of these things. But, you know, here it says, um, hereby we know. See, God already knows we're of the truth. Jesus already knows because he called you from the foundations of the earth. But we have to know that we're of the truth and we have to assure our heart before God because that's the only way we have confidence. Until you have confidence that you're walking in the truth, you don't have confidence to ask God or believe God for anything. Because if there's the slightest delay, what do you assume? There's a problem. But when you have confidence towards God, when you assure your heart that your desire is to walk in the truth and in the light, even as he is in the light, the Bible says the blood of Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. Right? The kind that we say if we don't have them, the truth isn't in us. And, and so your heart is the key. And so I've learned that I have to take time and assure my heart before God all the time. You know, I mean, today is one day, but tomorrow, you know, I can get distracted by other things and just drift off just like you can. And the next thing I know when it comes time to think about that thing again, when I notice that I don't have enough of this or too much of that or that this isn't working or that isn't working and the thought comes you know, you've prayed about this and it's been like six months already. You know, the, the assurance in your heart just isn't there. Why? Be, because we all sin. You know, so it takes time to get clean. It's almost like coming back to God and saying, you know what? I'm, I wanted to meet with you for the last three days, but I was so busy. And I'm sorry. All these things appear to be more important than you at the time. That's why they took my attention. I know that's not the spirit me, but that's just the body that I live in. It gravitates towards these things. But I want to be in bondage to those things because there's no life and peace in any, anything like that. There's only life and peace in being whole. And I can't be whole uh, without God, without the Spirit in my life, without interacting, right? without that connection being alive and, and vital. So you know, I'm, I'm saying these things because we have to assure our hearts. We can't identify with weakness. We have to identify with power. Yeah, you are weak in yourself, but you're not in yourself. You know, think about how people, I used to hear people pray. I apologize, that was my phone ringing. <laughs> so, um, assuring our hearts before God. You know, I've prayed for um, people, loved ones, friends, and it appears that my prayers have gone for naught. And then sometimes I forgot about praying for them, sometimes several weeks or more at a time. And then I remember, one of the things I like to do is actually write down the things I pray for and date them. On this day, I make a commitment to trust and believe God. And I'll say, thank you, Lord. I prayed for this. I thank you that this situation, I'll just do what God does. Call things that don't exist as though they did. Speak by faith, not by sight. Thank you that they're whole. my friend is whole. I thank you that their body is whole. I thank that your power is flowing through them. I thank that they had the victory. Even if they're doing terrible. But, you know, sometimes... You know, a, a report will come through. I'll hear that so-and-so is doing terrible. And, um, you know, or I'll be praying for a breakthrough for them. Maybe they're out of work or they don't have enough money or something like that happens. And, you know, you do what you can do. And then you, you really figure out how limited we are and how we can help sometimes the people around us. So we pray and, you know, time goes by. It doesn't seem like it's working. Now, the more time you spend talking to God about something, and rehearsing the, the answer instead of the problem. 
right? According to the Bible, it says this, I thank you that I got it. You may have to say that like a hundred times to assure your own heart that that's, that's the truth and not what you're seeing. It takes time to assure your own heart that God is actually, you're praying according to the will of God, right? And until you're assured in your own heart that God's will is to help that person, then how can you pray without being double-minded? But what happens is sometimes, yeah, we start out good, but then, you know, we realize when we hear something, hey, so-and-so is really doing bad, and you think, oh, I haven't even mentioned them in my prayers in like months. And then, you know, that that evil voice comes into your mind, well, now you got to start all over again, and you've, you know, you're not, you're not walking in love, and that, how is that the love of God, and, you know, you're too selfish, and all this stuff comes, and, and in order to pray, again, with, from a place of power and a pra- place of strength, just like Jesus did, in order, order for us to, to make that connection with God, we have to assure our own hearts before God that we are of the truth. Imagine if you were going to appear before God tonight. Wouldn't it be easier to assure your heart before that meeting ever took place? So then when you walked into it, there was nothing hidden. In other words, you got everything out before you get there. I, I think about that, you know. I mean, none of us knows how long we're going to be here. I remember telling God some things that I, I was thinking about of the past, from the past, and feeling bad about how I treated certain people. When I was younger, it wasn't right. Even though I asked for forgiveness for that before these thoughts and remembrances come back up and it makes me feel bad all over again, you know, and the people are gone and, and, uh, and some people I even ask for forgiveness, you know, and even though it wasn't something major, you know, like I didn't kill anybody or anything like that, but, you know, to me, it was a big deal. And, and finally, I had to say one day, you know what, Lord, I've been praying about this for years. And, and the Bible says that if you put your hand to the plow and, and look back, you're not any good for the kingdom of heaven. And I feel like sometimes like the past is hold, can hold me back. You know, there was a, a time in, in John chapter 6 um, where it says that the, the people got offended, the disciples. It says many of them turned around in verses 61 through 68. You can read the story, John chapter 6, and they walked with him no more. You, know, you some people just do that in in their walk. They walk with God no more. They're still walking with Him, like in in respect that when they die, they look forward to going to heaven. But they kind of feel like they're on their own in the meantime, right? Because when they pray, they don't see things. When they don't see things, all this condemnation comes in their heart that it's their fault. And and you can see it's circular thinking. It's your fault, but yeah, God's Almighty, so He should be helping you. And then you know you just go around that same circle. But the truth is Jesus has done everything. He's given everything for us. He's, he's given us that right robe of righteousness. He's seated us in heavenly places. You know, you hear people ever say, hey, we're just going to storm the, the gates of heaven and pray for somebody. Well, why would you have to storm the gates when you're not on the outside anymore? You're on the inside. You're actually on the throne, right? Sometimes, oh, my prayers aren't even getting past the ceiling. Well, do they really have to get to the, to the ceiling if the Holy Spirit's living on the inside of you? I mean, I'm just throwing these things out because, you know, what we feel, we make our reality. And it's a false reality. You can't go by what you feel. You have to go by what the Bible says, what's written. And then when you take those words, you still may feel, it may feel like they're not even true. It may feel like the opposite is true. And you may be confused. You may feel yourself 
thinking or, or saying, well, if this is the truth, why don't I feel like it's the truth? Right? And once you get in that world of feeling, you know, you're lost. There is no grounding. That's why it says in verse 20, 1 John, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. And what does the Bible say? And whatever we ask, it says in verse 22, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. Now, this isn't talking about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> this isn't talking about the law. What is this talking about? It says it right in the next verse. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You know, all of us think that we're probably falling short of doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. We always feel like we could do more of this and less of that. But listen to this command, the new commandments, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He who keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he stays in us by the spirit which he has given us. So it's not like the Holy Spirit comes and goes, right? If your body is the temple, it's not like he vacates your temple every time you do something wrong. What happens is it's just like having an argument with a loved one. It's like you don't break, you know, you break down in communication. You break down in emotion, but the relationship is still intact. Right? You're not, it's not like you're moving out and taking all your things with you and going and living somewhere else. We don't do that. We come back again. But again, the key here is we have to assure, that's our part. We have to use God's word to assure our heart before him that we are of the truth. Anyway, I hope you got something out of that. And the reason why I, I put that out there, and back to that story, I know I didn't finish it about the man with the ear, but uh, his ear got worse and worse, and he prayed for six years. Six years. And when he was questioned, did he feel like he was believing? He did feel like he was believing, but he still didn't see any result for six years. And, and now, six years later, all of that um, thing on his ear, all of the melanoma completely dried up and, and disappeared. But it took six years for that to happen. Right? And, and every, did he feel like believing every single day of those six years? Absolutely not. And so let me leave you with this. One of the commitments I made uh, before the Lord was I said to him that when there comes a time where I feel like the Bible's not working and I feel like my faith isn't working and I feel like you're not there and I feel like I'm just estranged from you and the blessings of, of uh, that belong to me according to the Bible and Jesus, when I feel like all that is gone, when I feel like I'm just under the, the heavy judgment of condemnation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this promise. I'm just going to say what the Bible says as an act of obedience. I'm going to say I'm healed. I'm going to say I'm delivered according to the truth of the Bible. According to the Bible, I'm healed. According to the Bible, I'm delivered. According to the Bible, I'm an overcomer. I'm going to stick with that testimony even if I feel like I'm a liar at when I'm saying it. Even if my heart tells me that you really don't believe that and you're lying trying to convince yourself, I'm still going to say I want you to let, let, I want to let you know that that's the approach I'm going to take before I get there. I want to tell you now today. And I made that promise because I had to deal with, I had to assure my own heart at times in my life when things were going badly, and I was doing my best to believe. I was doing everything I knew how to do, and I felt like the emotion, like I wasn't doing it right or I wasn't really sincere. All these things came on me just like an avalanche. 
It was like getting hit by a wave that you never saw coming and just being tossed head over heels, not knowing which way was up and which way was down. And so I said, the next time that happens, I just want to let you know during this time of peace that that's the approach I'm going to take because that's the only way I can't argue myself sometimes out of lies back into truth. Does that make sense? In other words, by, by the force of my own reasoning, sometimes the certain lies can feel so real at the time, I, I feel helpless to argue my way out of it. So instead, even if I have to do it robotically, I'm going to make the commitment to just say what the Bible says about me. When, when, when it looks like all hope is lost, and, and even if I have just a, a breath left in my body, I'm going to have to make that commitment. I'm going to say, by his stripes, I'm healed. So there's no breath left in me. Right? Because my, my goal is the desire of my heart. I think it's of a lot of people's hearts, that if, even if they don't acknowledge it, is to, I want to live a life that when I get there, the God the Father, when I stand before him, will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's been prepared for you since before the foundations of the earth. Anyway, I hope you got something from that. God bless you. This is Jim. You're listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. I hope you got something from that. If you did, please share this podcast with a friend. Maybe they will get blessed by it too and receive something that can change their own lives. Until the next time, God bless. Have a great day, and I will talk to you soon.